and there's nothing like a good a good bass line in the world. Like it just it just hits you just right when you can hear that bass coming in. My name's Harrison. Good to be with you guys. Ask LC Podcast. What's up? Hey, Mike Moses with you this morning. Good to see everybody. Uh, I always say that. Good to see everybody when that's the opposite of a podcast. Yeah. Uh, hey, what's up, y'all? <laughs> it might be more accurate. On today's episode, um, I'm going to walk you through uh, a Lake Forest Huntersville staff meeting. Not actually a staff meeting, but some content that we discussed yesterday in our Lake Forest Huntersville staff meeting that I, I hope you'll find interesting. First of all, it's uh, objective. the new census data out about our zip code. That tells us now what mission field are we in as Lake Forest Huntersville? And then there is a new statistical report and survey out studying the state of the church in America, particularly focusing on larger churches. And we discussed some interesting implications uh, yesterday as our staff. But first, Harrison. Yes. Man, I loved that uh, special song. I won't call it a solo because it was you and the whole band. Yeah. So it wasn't a solo Mm -hmm. but you sat us down on sunday and sang something over us that just had stank on it yeah it's a song called uh we'll all be free and uh you know part of what we do um as we sit back here we're meeting right now uh for this podcast as we have done for all this is episode 62 all 62 of these bad boys we've done right here from our green room area right behind the stage at lake forest um, in Huntersville and we sit, uh, in this room once a week together as a worship planning team and kind of get our brains together and, and, and go, you know, what have we done lately? That's been good that we've liked what's coming up. What, uh, what word of God do people need to hear soon? And how are we going to help get that message across? And yeah, we're just sitting in here in one of those thinking about, Acts, thinking about unity and harmony and yeah. uh, what all of that, that means. That was the and, theme for the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, so that, that song just uh, well, that song popped to mind. And what was interesting about that, I think, um, we, we had had on deck to maybe have somebody share their God story, and that didn't happen because of COVID situation and stuff. And so we had some extra moments in the service, and we just said, hey— um, it, it's been a little while since we had a beauty moment and maybe just a beautiful song sung over us that that uh, moves the narrative of that worship service along. And and then you went into your little black box of your own self, uh, and you came out with that song, which was so— I found myself singing it yesterday, all day. People were very yeah. moved. Yeah. We should have stood up and all shouted and clapped. Next um, next time we danced. bring it out, yeah, uh, the second half of that song, it'll be back. But how did you pick out that? Mm-hmm. How did the combination lock go and come around to that song? Sure, yeah. I mean, I think it's. Um, I, I've actually heard this uh, with people that uh, people that write, authors, people that paint, people that people that enjoy creating things. Um, a, a best practice that I've heard that seems to help me is a lot of it is just input as much stuff as possible. You're just, you're just things that you like, things that are interesting, things you think might be helpful. You know, every week I'm watching services of multiple churches. This particular song was a guy who used to be a part of a major worship group who kind of took a split from them due to some just 
theological stuff that started feeling weird to him and he went off on his own, did a solo thing. And I've, I've always just been a fan of this guy and he had this album that I listened to, liked it. And then was it a huge album or, or, or this was this niche? Yeah. Worship artist that you followed. Yeah, no, it was kind of, it was just, it was kind of in the background a little bit, but it's just, I've always, uh, I've always enjoyed, uh, the guy and his voice and his writing. He, he does that. He does that other song that we do here. He wrote it with the previous group that uh, we've done on some of our Easter's and stuff where it goes, we go from glory oh, yeah. to glory. Really? It's, so it's that okay. guy moving on, doing more ah, of his stuff. And okay. yeah, so for me, it's always just uh, the more the more things you input, like you said, then just kind of the random connections start working together. And you, you, you have something to draw off of. Well, it was such a, a hopeful song, song, such a picture of uh, biblical eschatology, like where it's all headed to, mm-hmm. to put a, uh, and then it got you up into your, your Justin Timberlake range vocally, uh, Mr. Falsetto. Thank you for saying Justin Timberlake instead of the Bee Gees as the other comparison. <laughs> <laughs> You can tell by the way I use my wallet. <laughs> it was more JT. I, I will give you well, that. Well, thank you. I appreciate um, it. No, but, I, I, hey, thanks for, for being someone who you and I talk often that we feel very privileged to do what we do for a living. Yes. Um, we would want to do it anyway, but that I'm privileged to set aside all this time to dig into God's Word and what's been said about that part of God's Word to the church for 2,000 years and what's the important word for today. And I focus that all down into what comes out on Sunday. And, and thank you for all the ways you uh, pay attention to what the Holy Spirit's doing um, all around the church and the world. And then you you dis, you, you distill it like yeah. a fine distilled well, drink. Well, we said before, even on this podcast, but it's a quote I think about all the time. Uh, Tim Keller said, uh, good art makes ideas plausible. So when, when, when you're singing that, it's a, it's a different thing. If you walked up on the stage and just read the lyrics to a really neat song, any song, it could be one that you love. It could be you two or the streets have no name and you're reading them in a monotone voice. Mm-hmm. Maybe it'll do something for you, but you put just something about putting that all together as a thing. Then you hear it and, and it just takes you to a place where, where it just feels like you can imagine a world that that's real, you know? So I, I love that part of things. And with a song like that, like you said, it is really fun to, uh, use art to, uh, imagine and emote together with what could the world be and where is it headed to? So I love that part of the process. Well, thank you. And that was a real gift on Sunday, uh, and made it easy to come up and teach God's word afterward, uh, to a bunch of prepared hearts. Well, uh, uh, so I thought the other day that, um, oh, the 2020 census has been complete or, or is being published, and uh, I, our staff, we lead the church on mission to the zip code that we're in. That's our, our we said our vision statement this Sunday, which is loving one more person in our Jerusalem, one more person who's given up on church, not on God. Serving one more neighborhood in our Samaria nearby, uh, planting one more church in our Judea and to the ends of the earth. And when it comes to loving one more person in our Jerusalem, that our the zip code we sit in, our campus is two eight zero seven eight, and we know lots of people drive here from different zip codes in North Charlotte and the region. But uh, 
so you can extrapolate if you're in a little different zip code. But here's some data, and then I'll get to this study on the state of the large church in America. Really interesting uh, statistics and a few implications for Lake Forest uh, and for you and me, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but Huntersville, from 2010 to 2020, grew from 46,000 people to 58,000 people. So that's like 20, 15%, something like that. The Gilmings are responsible for six of those data that's points. That's right. You came in that decade. That's you right. sure did. Uh-huh. Uh, I was part of the original 46,000, <laughs> yep. uh, me and my family. So uh, we're a town of 58,000 in Huntersville, the largest of the Lake Norman communities. Huntersville is likely, when you look at uh, planning data here, what's already approved, what what's where things are headed. I, I met with the town planner some time ago. My own projection is that Huntersville will one day top out probably between 120, 150,000 people. I think it's possible it could become 200,000 people. If you're aware of all the undeveloped space, particularly from exit 18 up to exit 23 and then east Huntersville, we'll see how successful the town is at limiting, making uh, east Huntersville a low-density area, which is their goal right now. But there are um, so all that to say, and then and there are there are uh, there aren't signs up yet. But there's a ton more housing developments slated just down the road from here. Just which direction is that? West of us on Gilead Road. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's coming. Which just means so. There's one thing about our Jerusalem serving, one, loving one more person in our Jerusalem as a, a church collectively. We need to always be making room for one more person on our campus because God is bringing one more person at a time, a lot more one more persons to this zip code. Um, and he has not stopped having us serve a bunch of them spiritually. And so we're, I'm th- talking about that with our elders. What does that mean, next step, uh, to make room for one more, to be sure we, I mean, post-pandemic, uh, that is. Um, per, percent of the population under 18 years old in Huntersville, Twenty-seven point nine percent, twenty-eight percent. That's surprisingly up there to me. It's yeah. way up. Yeah. It's. I was surprised it was that high, even knowing, with my eyeballs, it still seems like the majority of people who move to Huntersville are youngish families, a single parent with kids or two parents and kids. Seems to still sort of. And, and so this data backs up that. What you see, that really is the the majority of who's moving to Huntersville these days. And I, I think we as a staff felt like, hey, we really are reflecting that. that, that is, um, that's a huge part of our church body. We have not, everybody hasn't grown old with my founding generation. We're not all empty nesters at Lake Forest like me. Um, the majority of our church are families of your age and younger. And, and so we're seeing that. I think our immeasurably more vision project were, was on target with the zip code CODs put us in. We doubled our children's space. We made that really attractive entry area so that kids w- would bring their parents back, <laughs> ideally. Um, and so I think we're on target there, but we must always continue to emphasize super high quality children's and youth ministry. And by quality means engaging like that they find enjoyable, but quality 
also of are we really forming disciples? Mm-hmm. Um, so 28%. People 65 years and over, uh, 10%. So while I'm aware, I, there there's a little new wave in our recent Welcome 101 classes of grandparents moving here from other states to be where their grown children are raising their grandchildren and to build into them. And I love that vibe here at Lake Forest. There's a number of those people. But also the fact that it's only 10% of our 28078 zip code that's over 65 means that 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 is not yet the macro um, demographic. Um, Let's see. White people in 28078, uh, 80%. Interesting, listeners, I asked our staff, hey, what would you guys estimate is the percent of white population? And what did they say? Oh, man. They thought it was high. Did they think it was higher or lower? I forget. I think that they thought it was higher than that. Um, yeah. Yeah. So 80%. Um, black or African-American, uh, 12.5% in 28078. That was actually a little higher than most of us thought it would be. Um, and then Hispanic or Latino, 6%. And my reflection on that is that it, just the Lake Forest Huntersville, not to mention Elbow and Samaritano, I think we're probably close to about 6% Hispanic or Latino at Lake Forest Church Huntersville. doesn't necessarily, you don't think that when you look around, but there's a lot of um, uh, South American origin individuals and Central American mm-hmm. um, who worship with us uh, and other Spanish, uh, from Spanish-speaking background. Um but we are not even close to being 12.5% African-American in our worshiping congregation. And we talked about that just again yesterday in our staff meeting. Uh, and that will come up in the statistical analysis of large churches in America. We'll come back to that. Um, 75% of people live in owner-occupied housing, means they own their own homes. That's just a, a way to say we live in a relatively affluent homeowner-oriented community. Um, th- uh, I'll, I'll do these last ones really quickly. Um, people per household, almost three persons per household. Again, that just says there's a good number of, uh, families mm-hmm. here. Uh, we all know that. And, uh, just the last one or two median household income, uh, was 102,000 for households in Huntersville. I think that's different than the average, which I think is higher than that. There's, there's math majors on this podcast would know the difference between median and average when it comes to statistics. I, I can't reproduce that for you. I believe the average is higher than 102, but <clears throat> relatively affluent area. Um, but the poverty rate, this was, I asked the staff to estimate poverty rate, um, and they estimated higher. It, it's actually 4.2%. Here in Huntersville, so there is poverty here. Uh, that is a very low rate relative to the national average. Did anything stand out to you as we discussed that in staff meeting yesterday? Well, I was just—it um, I w- I was more of a question for you that I was curious of. You know, I know that back when you kind of had a, a dream, a vision to plant a church and ended up in Huntersville. Like, I did you? If you could, if you could put yourself in your mindset twenty plus years uh-huh. ago, would uh-huh. you have ever 
imagine this level of growth that we've seen in Huntersville? Or have you always thought that's the potential that we have here? That's yes. why I want to plant a church I here. I always have. I, I did the, I interviewed the town planner all the way back in 1997 or 98. And, uh, it, it appeared to me that this was headed in the direction that Matthews did 20, 30 years ago in on the south, other opposite side of Charlotte from us. And I was motivated. There were a couple of other areas that were going to be faster growing sooner and higher populations, but part of my own, just my own calling, this isn't the Holy Spirit stuff necessarily, was I really liked the idea of, first of all, being the first modern-style worshiping church being planted in a growing area, mm-hmm. and we were. And number two, though, of being in on the ground floor of a town that was, was in the process of just becoming what it would become. It had not become yet. Mm. It, it, it was just on the cusp of taking off, and I was very motivated I liked the idea of growing up a church along with a town side by side. Um, so, Well, and I think it's interesting. The other interesting takeaway from that is reinforcing, you know, what we've all been hearing, those of us who live here in Huntersville, which is you talk about becoming what it's going to become, and we're still maybe not even halfway there yet of what yeah. what our, our town could— uh, could grow to be. So it's yes. going to be really interesting to see over the next, the next 20 years, um, what our area is going to be like, the kind of people that are going to continue to, to, uh, to locate themselves yeah. and center their lives here. So I just thought that was very, I thought that was super interesting. 10, 15 years ago when people would come, you know, in conversation, the way we do in Lake Norman complain about traffic. That's what we that's small talk mm-hmm. in Lake Norman. I do it too. But it, unless they're an original resident, you know, like they grew up here, went to North Mech High School, uh, you know, 10, 15 years ago when stuff was just po- – Rosedale was just being built. Um, the Target just started at exit 25. Uh, they'd be, oh, but the traffic. And I'd be like, come on, man. You know you wouldn't have moved here unless you knew a Starbucks was coming. Yep. <laughs> There's no <laughs> – right. you moved here knowing that that <clears throat> stuff was coming. Um and I still think that's true. Okay. To, so that's just a little bit of, of data. That's the mission field on which we live. Uh, and, I, and because I knew that, day, that statistic about percent of young families was true in 1998, we started with a, uh, a hyper emphasis on children's ministry from day one. Hmm. Just knew that that's congruent with where God's put us. Um, okay, so I sat in on this seminar last week. You, you already heard this because this is how I introduced it to the staff yesterday. Um, I was invited into a small uh, Zoom meeting that was national for pastors of larger churches, and I did that last week. And at that meeting uh, presenting was Warren Bird, who is considered the foremost expert of large churches and mega churches in North America today. He's written a lot, if, if you're in my world. Um and he's with a group called Generis that does consulting for church leaders like us. Um, and here was the title of the Zoom that I was invited into, which was a consult with Warren Bird to talk over a new study results that had just come out. And he called the, the Zoom this, Momentum Factors for Large Churches Coming Out of COVID. Um, had my attention. Um, um, and so I leaned in. I knew a few of the senior pastors who were on the Zoom, and we were— messaging back and forth jokes during the thing, uh, private messages. And um, so I thought, 
I offered a few things to our staff yesterday out of that. I won't tell you everything that was presented in this study, but a, a recent study was updated uh, that has been done each of the last 10 years on large churches, churches over 2,000, um, and then correlated to churches, studies done of churches of all size. And this was, uh, I want to say, by the Pew Research Firm, uh, but I may have that wrong. Um, and it was just recently published. And so uh, we, we're, uh, as, as Lake Forest Church, Huntersville is a large church, and then Lake, the Lake Forest family of churches is a very, very large church. <clears throat> and so we, we fit in this category. Um, and here were a, he actually spent more time on just statistics, study findings about the state of the larger churches um, uh, than really a bunch of momentum factors for large churches out of COVID. But I'll start with the two momentum factors that he talked about. Well, actually, several others are momentum factors, but but he, here's the first one that he started with, and this was just these these first two are not statistical analysis; these are his view. Um, one was this: it's very famous that um, in uh, America, the last number of years, an increasing number of the population, when asked by demographers, "What religion are you?" an increasing number of adults say. None. None. The nuns. That's very famous in church circles, church leadership circles. If you're, we're thinking about the mission field that we're on as we follow Jesus today. Well, th- uh, this is statistical. Forgive me. I, I'll go back on what I said earlier. He said statistics on uh, studies on nuns, surveys, show that when what they have disaffiliated from is a, not wanting a label uh, of a denomination first and foremost, but then even in some cases necessarily Protestant or Catholic, uh, and in some cases Christian. That's what they have disaffiliated from. However, when they are surveyed as to their religious beliefs, what the major- vast majority of those saying none for the category of religion, their beliefs, however, remain largely uh, Protestant Christian. Beliefs about God, about Jesus, about the Bible, um, etc. And so he, uh, the, the presenter said that he, he sees that particularly a, a momentum factor for larger churches, and I'll tell you why larger churches in a moment, coming out of COVID, is um, we could actually see a, a flowering or a harvest or a... Uh, revival may be too big of a word among nuns coming out of religious nuns coming out of COVID nineteen. Uh, in that, we uh, people do think there's going to be a uh, there's this desire to be back in community. There's this desire to be back in theaters. Angie and I went to see Wicked. It didn't bother me uh, two weeks ago. Didn't bother me a bit at Evans Auditorium to wear a mask the whole time. I didn't care. I was happy to see a Broadway play. I was so happy. And I'm used to wearing a mask now. Um, and that they're, they're, it's, would we dare to pray for and believe for and organize our church and how we, uh, I was informed by this how I started my sermon Sunday, Harrison. I started off on the nature of spirituality and the best that I've read about innate human spirituality in a long time, and and that was how I started my sermon, to speak to people who may identify with disaffiliating with a particular view of Christian spirituality, but is still 
oh, I'm all about the spirituality of Jesus. So, so would we, how, how are we calibrating how we talk and speak and teach the Bible and Jesus and Christianity in ways that are accessible and compelling to people who consider themselves a nun? He thinks that that may be even a momentum factor in the coming year or two. Which is interesting because, I mean, there's a lot of aspects in which <clears throat> trying to orient yourself as a church to reach nuns, which was interesting because as you gave that description, nuns are quite literally, in that sense, people who have given up on church but not on God. Yes. I mean, directly, that's That's almost, our tagline, and that's exactly yeah, who nuns it's are. It's almost the language they're using. But doing it that way, uh, Mike, is something that some uh, some churches have more difficult times getting themselves there because it's straight up easier and more convenient <laughs> to try and reach people that are already uh-huh. convinced but are maybe just floating around a little bit out there uh-huh. and it's 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 more of a it's more of a challenge and 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 calling but the kind of calling that you know we relish to to say um that that there are people out there who are nuns who who are unconvinced who are 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 exploring um and those are the ones that we're putting the target on it's it's not uh it's not as easy in some ways it's always harder to 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 try and convince the unconvinced right right but man the 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 fruits and and as you mentioned in our staff meetings uh mike opens every one of our huntersville staff meetings by just opening the floor for people to share what we call God stories. Just how have you seen God moving in the lives of people to, to bring them closer to himself, to take a next step as a disciple or in faith. And, um, that's, that's always our target. Man, the staff were full of God stories of evidence. They see in you guys in our ministry partners, um, and a few people taking new steps to faith for the first time, and then they, they were just jumping with stories mm-hmm. of seeing ministry partners taking new steps of greater discipleship. That was really inspiring. I had to cut them off. I'm like, we've got stuff to talk <laughs> about right. in this meeting. But but that's on mission, and uh, yep. thank you for pointing that out. Mm-hmm. Here was the second sort of macro thing that he pointed out. I've now heard this from several places, and there must be an original source, but I don't know it. It's an observation about the times we're in. Uh, Everyone frets about the divisive times we're in as a nation. I mean, worldwide, but let's just talk about America. Divisive over everything, hyper-partisanship, all that. And, and, you know, even I, I'm so happy, positive guy normally. I'm like, where is this all going? Are we going to spontaneously combust as a country? is this going to head to a horrible place? Should I become a prepper and build a, a, a shelter in my backyard? Should that be what I'm doing on my weekends right now? Digging a big hole and pouring concrete in it. To Like, what's going on? And here's the most hopeful thing I've heard. And, and it's actually rooted in history. The last time that America was this divided and in turmoil, think about the late mid to late 60s. Our president was assassinated. Our attorney general was assassinated. The moral voice of our country and the world, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., was assassinated. There were riots on college campuses over the Vietnam War. Riots at the major uh, the, uh, Republican, Democratic, national conventions for a year or two, for several years. Like, like bad stuff happened. Like, 
the, uh, horrible stuff getting burned. There were uh, National Guardsmen shot dead college students demonstrating on Kent State's campus in Ohio. I wrote a paper on that in college. Um, all kinds of stuff. Think of this. It was just the, the everybody's arguing about over sexual ethics, etc. It was horrible. And out of it, spiritually, we can talk about what happened in the 70s and 80s after that uh, in society. But what happened spiritually, Harrison? Uh, this was pointed out by Ed Stetzer. Uh, I don't know if he got it from someone else. Is the Jesus people revolution happened. The hip, out of the turmoil that was the 60s, you know what the hippies did? They turned to Jesus <laughs> um, in mass. And it started in Los Angeles, Los Angeles, uh, to quote Bugs Bunny. Um, This is when barefooted, long-haired, guitar-playing hippies came to Jesus, and it swept the country. And it became the contemporary church movement that we know today. That's why I wear jeans in church as a pastor. Um, It was a nothing less than a revival. And so I was encouraged by this seminar to go, and our staff yesterday, we said, let's believe God for this. Let's be, let's be the ones who act like the Holy Spirit's going to do that again. That was our f- closing song Sunday. That's right. I've seen you move, move them. I believe you're going to do it again. So what if we in our church believe God for a potential revival out of all this divisiveness and we're ready for it. And and I think I was inspired by that a little bit, my impassioned message on the Jerusalem Council, Acts 15, last Sunday, of keeping unified around the gospel of grace and Jesus. And let's factor out disharmony over non-essential matters so that we are ready and we are a people prepared for this. Not a thin slice of the population, but all the nuns. So I want to believe God for that, Harrison. Yeah, I want to plan and preach. This was his point. Plan and preach as though that will be the case. We're getting the house cleaned up. We're getting our stuff together so we can have the guests over and it's the table set, <laughs> carpets vacuumed. We got, yeah, I love that. We got pre- pre- preparing the way in the terms of uh, John, who we just, uh, you know, a handful of weeks ago we're talking about. Yeah. That is well said. Mm-hmm. Um, now, let's get, let's do a few statistics. I'm going to try not to, to bore people since you're, most of our listeners do not work at a church, uh, but we know you care more than your average bear. And so um, help me do these quickly, Harrison, okay? Some of these statistics. Uh, I'll jam them if I can. From the year 2000 uh, to the year 2020. um, I'm sorry. (coughs) In the year 2000, the average uh, or, or, or median Protestant church attendance in medium to small churches was 125 people. By the year 2020, that 125 average attendance in medium small churches had is now 65. Hmm. Cut okay. Almost directly in half. Yep. In half. Yep. So there's a trend of smaller churches becoming smaller, and the the worry there for smaller churches is that. When, when they go from 125 attendance to 65, that's threatening viability of, of a church. And so there's likely ahead another wave of smaller churches uh, going out of existence or, or languishing. What's inter- now interesting, Warren Bird correlated that information to this. 
as smaller churches shrank, over that same 20-year period, larger churches kept growing disproportionately. So when we hear about shrinking church attendance, um, that is actually true on the macro level, the aggregate. But the the dwindling attendance has been more in smaller and medium-sized churches. Larger churches have actually grown large, especially in the last decade. Now, there are, they did some deep dives and said they do not think that uh, the diminishment of attendance at smaller or medium churches was at the expense of uh, uh, of people leaving and going to the larger churches. They just think those phenomena are they're correlated in some way, but not the cannibalization of small churches by larger churches. Mm-hmm. That's a way to say that. Yeah. Um, what's <coughs> excuse me. Um, seventy-two in the last decade, seventy-two percent of already larger churches reported being still a growing church, while eighty-five percent of smaller, medium-sized churches rec- reported being plateaued or declining. Mm-hmm. That's just statistical. That's just interesting. Um, I, I, one takeaway from that is uh, when you're in a, a larger church like we are, and in leadership, sometimes I'll hear from from uh people saying man i think younger people are really only gonna want smaller churches because you you'll know somebody who being a part of a larger church just wasn't their jam um and that's great like i i think that god has different sized churches for lots of different reasons i i think the holy spirit does uh and and thinks that's a good thing i think that's a good thing but there's no doubt from this statistic that there, if you're ever in conversations and people are like, yeah, man, um, just because you've read two blogs of somebody, man, I hate big churches, here's the thing and why. Um, uh, um, statistically speaking, the Holy Spirit is actually uh, moving in that people are attaching to larger churches, maybe is a way to say that. And so that just helps me to—I want us to be self-critical as a larger church. What are the, the ways that we may fail the people of God and the mission more likely because we're larger and we need to protect against those? And then what are the ways to leverage our strengths, our unique strengths? Uh, one of those is mission giving and planning churches, That's right. things that we can do because of a spiritual economy of scale uh, and beauty in our arts on Sunday morning. But so just that's just a fact. That's good to know. Um, how are larger churches growing over the last decade? This I found very interesting, mostly through growing into multi-site churches. Um, I, uh, the, the median seat capacity for the largest venue of large churches in America is a 1,400-capacity room. Our room is eight 900-capacity right now. Um, in other words... Larger churches are growing larger by uh, starting new services on different venues on their campus and new campuses or churches that stay connected, being a multi-site church locally and regionally. What's interesting is that's how God has led us to uh, serve and reach more people. And so we didn't invent that 
trend. We didn't do it because it what we were all kind of on the early edge of this. Ha- this, this accelerated in this last decade. Mm-hmm. It was kind of a small thing the first decade of this century, and then it accelerated this century, and we've been a part of that acceleration, which is just helpful. Number one, to not think too highly of ourselves. Hey, man, we're doing this totally. Well, we're part of a wave of what God's doing in new in our generation, uh, and we don't get to, to overly pat ourselves on the back for that. But also, um, that's encouraging. We're part of a cohort of something new that God's doing. Um, let's see. Uh, there's church planting, planting churches intentionally separate, and multi-site planting campuses, so to speak, are not mutually exclusive. Uh, there was a lot of worry about that in the early of the multi-site movement. Oh, is this the end of church planting? Actually, if a church either is a church that plants new churches that start off in as their own church or plants a, a site they are statistically more likely to do both. By doing either one of those, your church becomes more statistically likely to actually do both, which is the way we're seeing kingdom growth in the church in North America today, and that's what we do. We, we do both. Um, this is an interesting statistic about megachurches over the last decade. The previous several decades... Um, there were a number of churches that have become mega mega, and those are kind of the ones that we see and people know the name of. Mm-hmm. But in the last decade, almost no church in America has built a five thousand seat or larger venue. Mm. Whereas that was sort of common, quote unquote, in the nineties, especially starting in the eighties, nineties, and the early two thousands. That was like, oh, how fast can we build this five thousand, ten thousand seat venue? In the last decade, almost no church has done that. Rather, churches have multiplied similar to what we're doing. Oh, let's, let's do a congregation closer to where more people live. Um, that was really interesting. Um, the people of God's giving is on target or better in, uh, in larger churches in North America um, over the last decade, but this is a, actually a, a during-the-pandemic statistic. That... That's been true for Lake Forest Church. All of our Lake Forest churches, our giving has been remarkably strong. We're grateful for that and interpret that a lot of different ways. Uh, But again, that's also something that the Spirit of God is doing. Um, He said at the end that American evangelical Christians are the most generous people on planet Earth. Um, Now, that certainly correlates that that certainly the people that we serve are net-net uh, uh, affluent relative to other populations, although we don't serve the richest of the rich. Um, but still, the generous, most generous people on planet Earth, that's super encouraging. Um, here's an interesting thing. Uh, churches all across America are experiencing what we are. Statistically right now, people are slow to come back to in-person worship, even if they're vaccinated and stuff, mm-hmm. and they're slower to come back and start serving keep in baby nursery again for an hour and then come into worship for an hour or whatever the serving role is. That's churches all... The the anomalies there are churches who've made their identity all about non-masking. Like, so those are kind of attracting moths to a flame, a full room to prove that we can do this or whatever. Mm -hmm. They're proving. But but the general church in North America, people are still slow to come back in person. So don't, 
don't think there's something uniquely wrong with your church if you look around and like, really? It still doesn't even look, look like half of pre-pandemic in-person attendance. Just chill. Uh, we're working. We're working on that, and people are working on that. You're working on that, uh, l- listeners. Um, okay, a couple other quick ones. Um, in the year 2000, uh, no, 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 yeah, in the year, I'm not sure if this was 2000 or 2010, okay. 20% of mega churches were multi-ethnic. That means at least 15% of the worshiping population is a non-majority ethnicity. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2020, 52% of wow. mega churches mm. reported as multi ethnic or multiracial, which is a huge win. And the reason for that is not happenstance. It has been a growth in intentionality, like we're attempting, we're still on the front end of an intentionality of becoming a more multi-ethnic church here. But he said it's the intentionality of who's on our stage, who's on our staff, who's on our board. Uh, We've been super intentional about becoming a multi-ethnic family of churches, which I'm Super happy about that and can't wait for there to be elders, particularly from El Buen Samaritano and Lake Forest U City on our overall elder board, leading the church together as a picture of the kingdom. Um, so that I thought that would be um, here. Th- this will be one of the last things I'll share. And this is maybe most actionable by you, our precious listeners, uh, and me and you, Harrison, mm-hmm. although you're doing this. In large churches, I don't know about in in small churches, uh, but in large churches they found that um, there's you're always trying to measure discipleship or spiritual growth. That's all. That's been the perpetual for 23 years of leading this church. The elders Mm. every year like, is there a way we can metricize discipleship better and so that we can get a grip on are people really growing and is what we're doing helping them grow? Do we need to do it differently? All that. But here's a statistic that that uh, they isolated in surveying membership in many large, large churches. That the, the more, um, the, the, what is correlated to your spiritual growth more than any other factor is if you're in some type of small group, regular or committed small group. That more than any other statistic, like we can measure... Do you attend in-person worship frequently? We can measure, do you give to your church? We can measure, do you, serving in mission outside your church? We can measure all those kind of things. Are you serving on a ministry team in the church? But the one factor out of anything that we could measure that has the highest correlation of all the other facets of spiritual growth, engaged in with the Bible, has an active prayer life, it, uh, serves on mission, uh, is a generous giver, is is a person in a group or not. And what was encouraging to me about that is that, awesome, that's not challenged by the pandemic. People are meeting in smaller groups. And what was the challenge to us as a staff was, so how are we doing emphasizing and making easy pathways and teaching the Bible in a direction and <coughs> and training people and resource and equipping people to be a part, to belong in some type of smaller group so that we know that if a teenager knows that they're in a remix group and they know who their leader is and they're in that huddle with some regularity, 
We know that all the other discipleship factors, again, statistically speaking, will go rise for that teenager. We don't have to work on those factors individually, in other words. Mm. It's a bundling of spirit. So, so friends, if, if you and I had to think of, and, and this rings true for Angie and I, our participation and commitment to our community group sort of bundles so many other factors of the spiritual life. Um, and I think we could, we don't even need to stop and think of why that's true, but that's a helpful measurement for you if you're listening. Or, or have you allowed um, belonging to some sort of smaller community group, discipleship group, men's or women's, to fall off your plate uh, during the pandemic? Or have you never taken that risk and done that yet? That um, just if you're a data-driven person, the data says that for you to get over that hump will take care of. It will then naturally, it's like you're helping yourself help the Holy Spirit grow you Hmm. by being in a group. And so our staff will be emphasizing that in in future months. Awesome. We think all this stuff is important because there's a phrase I've heard, Mike, if you know the, the, the originator of it, you can tell me, I don't know who, who said it first, but it stuck with me. It's part of why I think you and I both do what we do is that I truly believe that the local church is the hope of the world through Jesus. That yes. there's that 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 what we do here, what we do in churches as the capital C church when you put them all together, but even just right here, uh, we believe we can do something special uh, in our town, the town of Huntersville yes. that God's called us to that can be done in the local church that God has set up that we see in the book of Acts that we're looking at right now, that there's something about that, that God specifically said, this is my plan. And I just, I just love that. Yeah. That's why it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Um, so thank you. I hope that a bit of that was interesting and helpful to each of you. It sure is to us as a church. We attempt to not just, make stuff up and, and run, make all of our decisions anecdotally, but we try to pay attention to um, analytics. And that's an example of how uh, that can be helpful as we make decisions, engage where we are. Well, hey, we will talk to you next week on the Ask LFC podcast. Have a good one, guys. Bye.